Comprehensive, relevant, and insightful conversations about health and medicine happen here on MedStar Health Doc Talk. The pancreas is an organ shaped like a fish located behind your stomach. It's a crucial part of digestion and the processing of sugars in your body. It can also be affected by cancer. This year alone, the American Cancer Society estimates that more than 60,000 Americans will be diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And today, we're joined by Dr. Ed McCarran, who is a surgical oncologist at MedStar Franklin Square Medical Center and MedStar Harbor Hospital. I'm your host, Mike Shue. Welcome to Doc Talk. And Dr. McCarran, thanks for being with us. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. I'm happy to be here. I know you're happy to be here because beforehand we were talking about your desire to get a few things out into the public about this disease and that it's it's there are things people need to know. Tell me more. Well, I can tell you, Mike, the most important thing is that people be, need to be aware of the diagnosis. Um, the symptoms that patients experience when they're dealing with this diagnosis can be very vague. Many times a primary care physician doesn't always pick up on these vague symptoms of like abdominal pain, weight loss, back pain. Uh, if you're a primary care physician, any number of diagnoses could be applied to those symptoms. And I think that we have to really maintain like a high index of suspicion if we're ever going to really make the diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. And I, I want to make just a couple points about that. Patients diagnosed with pancreatic cancer will typically have these symptoms for months. They'll typically be seen by a few healthcare providers on several different occasions before the diagnosis is made. So I really want the healthcare providers out there as well as the patients to understand that if you're having persistent symptoms, keep pushing to be evaluated and, and ultimately get checked out until you have a sufficient diagnosis. Is there a particular screening for it? That, that's the problem, is that there really is no screening test. The only people that are screened for pancreatic cancer are what we consider familial pancreatic cancers. So if you're in a familial pancreatic group, that means that you have two or more first-degree relatives diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. The screening of those individuals is also very controversial. No one is really settled on the, the age, uh, the type of screening, how it should be done. Really, in our hands, what we would say is that screening should probably start at the age of 50. And we also like to use uh, MRI imaging or um, endoscopic ultrasound for those patients. And by first degree, you mean mother's father, sister, brother? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Two or more, not just one. Two or more. Yeah, so it, it should be clear. That's something that people will remember. Right, exactly. And But I'd also, so that is our familial patients. and But the majority of pancreatic cancers are sporadic. So again, there is no screening test for those patients. So there is no mammogram. There is no colonoscopy. Not all those typical things that you hear about for the other cancers. And that's what's so problematic with pancreatic cancer. And that's why uh, patients tend to present uh, when the disease is a bit uh, farther along. You know, as a, as a man, I guess I'm becoming more and more aware of the PSA test, right? So um, there is a human uh, serum marker called CA199 that, that can be checked when you're dealing with pancreatic cancer, but that has never been 
proven to be an effective screening tool. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you can randomly check the general population with CA199 levels and figure out who has pancreatic cancer. So you mentioned PSA to be clear, that's though for prostate. That's for prostate cancer. So if, if, if screening is more sort of the art of teasing out some of the symptoms and having it go further then how do you diagnose it? Right. Um, typically it would take a a smart physician who understands the symptoms, who ultimately orders uh, a CT scan. And I would say the majority of these tumors are diagnosed by uh, by a CT scan. So tumors in the head of the pancreas, uh, you know, the pancreas is set up into three parts, head, body, tail. And if the tumor is located in the head of the pancreas, those patients will tend to become yellow or turn yellow, yellow jaundice. Mm-hmm. Uh, skin turns yellow, eyes turn yellow. The other thing that can be associated with that is patients will start itching. So if you have those that constellation of symptoms, your doctor is going to order a CT scan. And that's typically how the mass is found. So, and you were saying by the time you find it, it's it's usually been going for a little while. Exactly. And so if the if there's any sort of delay in the diagnosis and the tumor is allowed to grow, uh, these tumors are fairly aggressive in the sense that they can spread to other places. So if the tumor has spread to the liver or outside of the pancreas, um, the surgical interventions typically would not be pursued. And then you would have to get treatment with uh, chemotherapy or other, other targeted agents. So you said fairly aggressive. Is it always the case? Is this one of those slow growing, fast growing things or is it, is it pretty linear? I would say that pancreatic cancer is aggressive. It has an aggressive biology. Um, So when you think in terms of like how how long it would take for another tumor to progress, I think pancreatic cancer is definitely on the the faster end. And so that's why it's so important for us to get an early diagnosis. I think there was some uh, awareness of it when Steve Jobs was diagnosed with it. And then that got people to, to talk about it more, but some of that sort of awareness has died down. I think that's one of the reasons why you were excited about being here today to say, we need to start thinking about this. Absolutely. And, and to bring up another name, you know, I mean, I think even more recently than Steve jobs is probably Alex Trebek. Yeah. And, um, you know, but I, I would say that those two guys, um, really, or a good example of how to approach this diagnosis and aggressively treat it and pursue all options of treatment. Um, So I think a lot of people can really model their behavior of how they approach their diagnosis, especially Alex Trebek. I mean, he was pretty incredible dealing with his diagnosis. We just talked about two men. Does it skew towards men? Uh, There really is no male or female predilection. It's pretty much down the middle. Yeah, is this an organ we can live without? I would say that if the entire pancreas is removed, it would be difficult to control your blood sugars uh, and also to digest your food. Honestly, we almost never perform a total pancreatectomy. So our operations, if your tumor is in the head of your pancreas, we will perform a Whipple procedure where the head of the pancreas is removed. If your tumor is in the body or tail, we would then perform what is called a distal pancreatectomy. Um, so we always try to leave some pancreatic remnant for the patient, again, because it is so difficult to function without your pancreas. You know, we, we talked about at the very beginning, but run through the symptoms once again, because it is sort of uh, subtle at times. Oh, absolutely. So uh, mostly, like, again, I said, if you turn yellow, 
or you become jaundice and experience itching, you would need to be evaluated by your doctor right away. The vague symptoms are more like the abdominal pain, the back pain, the weight loss, fatigue. Like I said before, those are symptoms that could be attributed to any number of diagnoses. So that's when you would want to be aware when these symptoms persist, you'll have to go get some help. Sounds like both the general population needs to be educated as well as general uh, yeah. practitioners. You know, <laughs> Absolutely. Taking nothing away from them. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so what, what are the treatment options? The best treatment option is surgery. Mm-hmm. So if surgery can be performed and the tumor can be completely removed, that is the portion of patients that can achieve long-term survival. Uh, the problem is, like I said, um, with the diagnosis oftentimes being delayed and the tumor progressing, Really, only about uh, 20% of patients are eligible to have surgery. At the time of diagnosis, almost 80% of patients would not be eligible for surgery. Because? Because the tumor would have spread either to the liver or outside of the pancreas. And then you're trying to manage multiple. Right. And then, so then in those cases, surgery to remove the tumor from the pancreas does not improve your survival because the tumors at other sites may grow. And that's when you would need chemotherapy, targeted therapy, or our my medical oncology colleagues. So for those 80% who has reached that point, what's, what is the outlook for them? Um, the, the outlook is uh, difficult, but again, um, it all depends on how the tumor is responding to treatment. So if chemotherapy is provided to those patients and the tumors shrink, uh, they can have some good quality of life. Um, the problem is, is sometimes those patients will receive treatment and and the tumors will simply progress. Mm, that's that's tough. Oh, right? absolutely. Oh. When of the twenty percent that, that that are eligible for surgery, what is it? Is it traditional um, surgery, or is there any non invasive, or how does that work? Okay, well, s- standard treatments would be standard open surgery. So everyone refers to the operation on the head of the pancreas as the Whipple procedure. Um, that's kind of a commonly known operation if you look on the internet mm-hmm. or look it up on the web. Um, and that's a, that's a complicated surgery where you have to remove the head of the pancreas, but then you have to have three hookups, one to the pancreas, one to the liver, and one to the stomach. When we remove the body or tail of the pancreas, that's called a distal pancreatectomy. That, that operation um, is a bit easier on the patients, but there's always uh, some problems with uh, leakage from the pancreatic duct. With that being said, um, what I'm most excited about now is the move towards minimally invasive surgery. I think every aspect of surgery is moving to more minimally invasive techniques. Uh, this all started with uh, laparoscopy or laparoscopic procedures, and now it's even going to robotic surgery. And I would say that MedStar is uh, really heavily promoting robotic surgery. We're collaborating with surgeons at Georgetown so that we can improve our techniques with robotic surgery. We are definitely capable of doing robotic uh, distal pancreatectomy with the body and tail, and we are developing the ability to be able to perform robotic Whipple procedures. Uh, those operations are really only performed on in a handful of centers across the United States on very selected patients. 
But I imagine as time goes on and these techniques evolve, that will become more mainstream. So why are you excited about the robotic and what, how does it help both you know, the patient and the doctor? The robots allow for um, small incisions. It's interesting because I just heard a talk on this the other day where if you look at the complication rates from pancreatic surgery, uh, the most feared complication is obviously pancreatic leak. That's where we hook up to the pancreas. The pancreas can be fairly unforgiving. The other complication is is wound complications, wound infections, superficial surgical site infections. But if you have a robot, you don't have any incisions. So you can take out a majority of your postoperative complications just simply by using the robot. Smaller incisions, less pain. We always hope that that then uh, results in a shorter length of stay, quicker recovery, better quality of life. So I see the future in robotic surgery is just improving every aspect of a patient's recovery. Have they done the studies yet to see if it actually is improving the they, quality? They, they, they have done the studies. And uh, the studies are basically at the present time showing that the robotic surgery can be done safely and is very, like basically equivalent to the open operation. But again, I think with time and as these techniques improve that, that, that the robot will far exceed open surgery. I think when people hear about robotic surgery, they may get the wrong impression that maybe it's sort of like, you know, program it, set it, forget it. And the doctor goes in and has a cup of coffee. What <laughs> Help us out here. What, is it, what does it mean? Okay. Well, um, robotic surgery would be more like a, a puppet master, right? <laughs> so so uh, the surgeon sits at the console and uh, the robot gives you two extra arms. So now rather than operating with two arms, the surgeon can operate with, with four arms. Mm-hmm. Um, it also gives you a better visual, visualization. So everything is magnified and um, your movements can be finer with the uh, robot. So it's, it's kind of like uh, enhanced surgical skills just by a robot. Precision. Greater precision, definitely. I, I know the, that's one of the options. Are there any other new options out there on the horizon? You know, I think if we're really going to make a dent in pancreatic cancer, I think that we have to figure out how to diagnose it early. And I think the future will be some form of biomarker or liquid biopsy or something that the researchers are able to figure out so that these tumors can be diagnosed at an early stage. If we were operating on very small localized tumors uh, with a robot, I think patients would definitely achieve long-term survival with very little uh, downside on their quality of life. But right now, those things don't exist, but I, I know a lot of smart people are working on them. Oh, so you, you know what's out there somewhere. It's just a matter yeah. of time before they find <laughs> exactly. it, right? And I, and I can tell you what I'm, what I'm most excited about is uh, MedStar's collaboration with a company called Indivumed. Mm-hmm. And that is a biobanking um, company that they're, they're trying to preserve quality tumor specimens and blood so that if researchers come up with any idea, all that data will be present so that they can conduct uh, research protocols like almost real time as the idea comes about. And then they'll have like a thousand specimens in the lab waiting for them. It's not like in the old days where you got an idea and then you had to wait for a thousand patients to walk through the door. Now these uh, biobanking companies will have all of this information ready for you. The, the other group that we're collaborating with is called uh, Keras um, Tumor Profiling. So what we're looking for is we're taking these tumors and not just looking at them under the microscope, but we're checking, we're checking their whole gene expression profile. 
And what they're doing is they're looking for targets that can be used against the pancreatic cancer cells. So this is kind of some very high-end technology that's now being applied to these tumor cells so that we can really understand the biology of the tumor and basically how to turn off the tumor cells. So I, I believe that's going to be the future. You know, everybody talks about precision medicine, uh, precision treatment plans for individuals. We're not just going to pick one chemotherapy drug and apply it to every single pancreatic cancer. Because, you know, as the research has evolved, we found that maybe that one chemotherapy might work on one tumor cell type, but not even work on another. And it's kind of tough when you look back in the past and you see, oh, we may have treated hundreds of patients with a chemotherapeutic that we now know might not be effective. So with this, why, why should people choose MedStar? I think people should choose MedStar because uh, we have a group of physicians here that are totally committed to the care of pancreatic cancer patients. Um, myself, my partner, Dr. Vinay Gupta, and our medical oncology colleagues, um, we present all of these cases at our multidisciplinary tumor boards. Everybody provides insight into the patient's care. At the present time, we're also collaborating with our Georgetown oncology colleagues, so we get all the benefits of you know, the big university tertiary center. We, we have an incredible group here that, that's ready to take care of these folks. Good stuff. We've been talking with Dr. Ed McCarron at MedStar Franklin Square Medical Center. Dr. McCarron, thank you very much for sharing your expertise here on MedStar Health Doc Talk. Now visit MedStarCancer.org or you can call 443-296-5680 to learn more.